BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Heard a lot of complaints. This Ben Jarofsky Show Benny J bonus interview is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers Local 150, and the Chicago Federation of Labor. Benny J, take it away. Bonus time on the Ben Jarofsky Show as I speak. It's Friday, July 3rd, 2020. Of course, it's the podcast. You can listen to it anytime. Uh, the headline, just to give you a sense, if you're listening to this like a year from now, the headline in the Chicago Sun-Times, this is what's on people's mind. Uh, stakeholders aim to keep Englewood homicide-free or 4th of July weekend. Violence in the city of Chicago, it's an ongoing situation. I've been living in the city of Chicago since 1981, and there's been violence in the city every year since I moved here. And it seems like the city of Chicago either is incapable or indifferent uh, to this problem. You decide. Anyway, that's the headline. Uh, and on July 3rd, 2020, the day before the 4th of July, uh, as I do with all bonus guests, I ask my distinguished guest to introduce him or herself. So, distinguished guest, introduce yourself. All right. Hey, Ben. Uh, this is Dixon Romeo. Uh, lived in Chicago my whole life, South Shore native, uh, graduate, uh, CPS graduate, Kinder Elementary and uh, Kenwood Academy. Grinnell College graduate uh, with a bachelor's in economics. Um, and I do local school council work um, and advocacy on the South Side, uh, in particular at Parkside Academy. Yes, we uh, thank you very much for coming on the show, Dixon. I've been talking about this interview for a while. I've been talking about local school councils, introducing people to the whole the, the concept, the topic, uh, it's come up in uh, relation to the issue of police in schools. And I heard Dixon, it was a, a virtual birthday party for a mutual friend. And he was so funny on that. Not to put pressure in you, Dixon, but he was so funny <laughs> at that virtual. I go, I got to get this guy on my show. So uh, we, I reached out, we cut a deal. Here he is. And... Uh, I hope I didn't do too much of a buildup, uh, Dixon. Before we talk about, uh, before we talk about uh, local school councils, the role they play, police and schools, and how much authority local school councils have, et cetera, and so forth. Why don't you go a little bit uh, uh, deeper into your background? You're from Chicago. Uh, you're obviously much younger than I am, and uh, I, I talked about violence in Chicago at the top of the show. My goodness, you're. I mean, I talk about it since I moved here in '81. It, you've lived your whole life in the city of Chicago. Uh, do you have any thoughts as to right. why we um, seem so incapable as a city of confronting this issue? Sure. Yeah, Ben. So like you said, I'm, I'm 26 years old. You know, I, I think I'm pretty old, um, but I think that, you know, as like you said, my whole life living in Chicago, living in South shore, um, you know, I've had friends uh, lost to gun violence. I've had uh, family members 
you know, loss of violence or deal with violence in the community. Um, and it's a terrible issue, right? Um, and I think that the reason that it's so hard for us as a city to address it, um, and I'm sure you've heard this before, I personally, you know, speaking for myself, I think we don't do a good enough job or sometimes any job um, at, you know, getting people jobs, right? Addressing the root cause of why we have violence. Um, I think about the fact that there are folks in my neighborhood who have been conditioned to, you know, writing folks off, writing young adults off, young black men off, young kids off, um, instead of saying, how can we advocate to get them the resources they need that I have, right? Um, and that's one of the things that, you know, I'm not trying to segue out of it, but that's one of the things that my big thing being on the LSC at Parkside um, is about is that how can we get additional resources to our students and to the community so that we can actually address the, you know, the issue and affect folks' lives, right? Um, you know, growing up, like I said, I live in South Shore my whole life. Parkside was a school down the street from my house, right? And my mother intentionally did not send me to my neighborhood school. She went out of her way to have me test. You know, I got in. She would drive me every day to Skinner Classical School, which I think now is called Skinner West, um, because of those things, right? She thought that there was community violence. She thought that there was, you know, inequities and, you know, structural racism stuff that affected why that school was like that. You know, as a kid, I'm like, you know, I want to go to school with my son. We play basketball at the Y. We play basketball at the court. So she's there. Why can't I go to school with them? Um, but she understood institutional racism and she understood how going to that magnet program would change the trajectory of my life. And it did that. Right. So I think if we really want to address violence, we need to make every neighborhood school as good as our magnet school. So I don't, you know, we need to, we need to, you know, really reevaluate how we look at violence. Right. Um, I think, um, I don't want to go on too long of a tangent, um, but I think, you know, if you, if we're showing up to things after the fact, after someone's been shot, um, after, you know, by someone in the community, by a police officer, by anything, it's late, right, in terms of having, really addressing the issue, because it's already occurred, right? The investments that we made five years ago are going to affect stuff that's happening this summer. Um, so that's why I think we as a city haven't really been able to address it. So, All right. no funny punchline there, but... <laughs> no, no, this is serious stuff. All right, and so let me uh, give you uh, an opportunity to be uh, king, <clears throat> excuse me, king of the universe. For the last okay. several years, I have unsuccessfully crusaded against, uh, in my columns and on, uh, on the airwaves, against a TIF-funded program, uh, a, t- a TIF-funded uh, project on the north side of Chicago called Lincoln Yards. I was unsuccessful, okay? Mm-hmm. I did not have enough mm-hmm. power mm-hmm. as the developers uh, okay. who had a lot more influence the, with the mayor and the aldermen than I did. $1.3 billion, Dixon, dedicated. Okay. $1.3 billion in property tax dollars for a dead, broke city is being dedicated to gentrify an already gentrifying neighborhood, all right? right. I, be- I believe that it's a complete waste of public dollars. So let me say to you, let's say you were uh, Mayor Dixon, Mayor Romeo, and you had $1.3 billion at your disposal to spend to try to lower 
the crime rate, lower the shootings in the city of Chicago, and improve the schools, what would you do with that $1.3 billion? As opposed to gentrifying an already gentrifying neighborhood on the north side, how would you use that money? Well, I'd have to say this is a very Chicago thing. I don't know how I just, I, I was a regular guy and now I'm the mayor. Um, but <laughs> I think that, uh, <laughs> I think, yeah. you know, assuming it's, is it right, is it yearly, is it a one time influx? You know, obviously that's not the point of this exercise. Um, I think the point of this exercise is to talk about priorities, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that $1.3 billion are up to me. I think would be way better suited um, having more staff in our schools, non-carceral staff, right? Um, more librarians, more counselors, more therapists, more teachers. Um, despite, you know, class sizes, smaller class sizes, I think putting a good chunk of that $1.3 billion for that would be useful. I think putting a large amount of that money towards um, mental health services would be extremely useful. And I think putting the large and the other, I, I keep saying large amount, so we'll say they're equal chunk. And then I think taking the other percent and putting it towards safe and affordable housing for folks is really, really useful. Um, I think that, and we can talk about this later when we talk about the stuff we've done at Parkside and about LSEs, but um, running on running for LSC, being on LSC, meeting more and more people in my community that I wouldn't ordinarily meet, every day I realize how much of the issue housing is for folks, um, especially in South Shore, but, you know, across the city and how much that lends itself to issues of, you know, poverty and crime. So I would, those would be my three chunks, okay. education, healthcare, and housing. All right. And just to answer your first uh, point, it's $1.3 billion over about 20 years. So whatever the math is, I was not that good at math. Uh, you divide $1.3 <laughs> billion by 20 and you'll have a yearly allotment uh, that Mayor Romeo can spend. Um, all right. You're a local school council. Uh, explain to people what a local school council is. And by the way, just to help out, a lot of our listeners are not from Chicago. Uh, so South Shore's community. Uh, well, you tell folks where South Shore is. Yeah, sure. South Shore is on the south side of the city, um, right next to the lake in, in, in Jackson Park. Um, it's close to the University of Chicago, um, mostly African-American, uh, you know, a lot of homeowners, a lot of renters. Um, really great place to live. I love it. I've lived there my whole life, so uh, I'm biased, clearly. But, you know, I think Chicago is the greatest city in the world, and, and South Shore is one of the greatest neighborhoods in that great city. Um, go ahead. No, and so uh, Parkside uh, Community Academy is where? It's, it's, in, it's on 69th and East End in South Shore. Um, you know, elementary school, you know, we do now preschool through eighth grade. Um, and I got started on the local school council for it. You know, after I graduated college and I came back, you know, I got a job from working. And one of my big things was, um, I wanted to get involved in the community. And I thought, well, this school's been by my house my whole life. Folks have been saying, you know, for whatever reason, there's things that they don't like about it, why they want to send their kids there or whatever, whatever. Um, and I thought, you know, why don't I go see what I can do? I can volunteer my time. I think I'm a pretty smart guy, right? I can do something. Um, and so I ran for LSD. And then the last, uh, you know, two years, we've been working on 
improving things in the school. I think we're in the right direction. Uh, now, local school councils, for folks who don't know, are, are boards that uh, oversee individual schools that consist of uh, a couple of community reps, people who live in the area but uh, are not parents of kids, parents of students in the school, and a couple of teachers. Uh, and so when you ran for— and the principal. And the principal. How could I forget the principal? Thank you. Uh, so when you ran for local school council, were you opposed or were, uh, were there only— were you the only one and uh, running in that election? Yeah. So when I ran, um, for as far as community members, I was not opposed. It was just me. Um, so the debate was, you know, me, myself and I, it was riveting. I think myself did better than me, but I was a close second. Um, <laughs> and you know, it, it, I think it showed, right. I think a lot of folks in our community, you know, we've been told a lot of promises, a lot of good things. And so there's like a no-win philosophy, right? Folks don't participate, so they think there's no point. Um, but I'm glad to say that this time around, whenever the elections do happen post-corona, we do have uh, – it, it, it is more than just me running. And I, I think that's a really, really good thing, um, that folks are engaged and, like, want to get active and want to be a part of the school. Um, yeah. So how much authority does a local school council have over something like a budget at a school? Uh, a big, a big, a big, the, the total authority, the, the LSC, um, we get to hire and fire the principal. Um, we get to approve the budget, um, and the allocation of the budget, not necessarily its size, right? That's determined by CPS. Um, but where money goes and what it's used for, the LSC has really, really strong abilities in that and finally we get to do the CIWC like the strategy and work plan of the school what's our mission what are we working for what are our goals how are we measuring them things like that so um, you know when I, when I talk to folks I know in college and they're like yeah you know I saw you on Facebook come up your school like so what is, what is that it's like, they're like a transition association and I'm like no nah, it's a little it's a little different than that it's a very Chicago specific thing but it's very serious stuff and it's very important that I think the community parents and you know staff and get this type of input I think it's uh, a really great thing about the city so what were give us an example of some of the decisions that the local school council uh, at Parkside has made in terms of like how you allocated the money I understand you essentially get an allowance uh, from the Board of Education it's uh, partly uh, determined by the number of students in your school uh, so when you have right. that money, give me an example of, of a decision you made, like how you allocated that money. Sure. So I think one, one of the things we did was um, we, our goal is to have as many pieces in the school as possible. Um, and I think this year we had to make a choice between getting an, an additional teacher um, and don't misquote me, but I think an additional librarian it was a very long meeting. Um, and we had to, we made a choice between, you know, taking away money from some, you know, some things like, you know, I think a lot of schools spend money on shirts and stuff like that, right? Um, and so stuff like that. But also we had to unfortunately let go of uh, an administrator. Um, but the, the benefit was that we got to keep additional teachers. Um, and I think that we also, because of some of the grant writing and things that we've been doing, getting additional resources from folks on fundraising, we were able to cut a lot of uh, costs also in terms of like 
having students pay for certain, you know, things, right? Grad- cutting down on graduation fees, cutting down on, you know, teachers extracurricular and school supplies. Um, because, you know, so thankfully, because of me and another community rep in LSU as a whole, we've been able to go to community members, we've been able to pull folks in and help us write grants, um, and take the lead in writing a lot of grants so that we could get, you know, stuff for the school. Um, so well, that's an example of LSE is making a decision that for your listeners outside of Chicago, you know, ordinarily would be up to like the district office or the principal solely. Um, yeah. And uh, one of the the disadvantages, uh, or one of the advantages, I should say, of schools in wealthier neighborhoods gets to that point of what you, you were talking about, fundraising. So obviously the wealthier the parent base, the more money uh, a school can raise to pay for additional services, supplemental services that the board uh, does not provide an allowance for. Uh, as have you, do you find that Parkside and South Shore is at a disadvantage? Let's say when compared to, well, I don't know, like a Skinner, uh, the magnet school that you went to, or a Northside school or a Hyde Park school that has yeah. more affluent parent base. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, I talked to an LSC member on a school up on the north side and they were talking about their friends of, you know, said school had, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Right. Um, and I think, you know, with that, 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 you know, you don't have to think about how do we get extra money for buses for the kids that want to do certain programs or do certain sports. Right. Like you don't have to, it's not a question. You know, it's there. Well, if you need money to supplement an after school staff person or something, you know, you you make a phone call, you get your folks together, and you look up and boom, you've got a hundred thousand dollars, right? Where you can cover someone's salary and whatever, right? Um, and that's definitely a disadvantage. Um, it's definitely a disadvantage. I think that luckily at Parkside, we haven't had to make those type of tough choices yet, um, or some you know choices that tough or been in positions where we had to say, man, I wish we had an extra. $200,000, partly because of the grant writing, right? Like, we've been lucky to have, you know, Children's First Fund, uh, Frontline Foods, some other places help us with some of the different initiatives we've been doing that have been able to, you know, get us the access to those resources. That's been really, you know, beneficial. But there's, like, privilege in that, right? Like, I, I went to Grinnell College, and I worked in the development office. So I understand how to write grants a little bit, right? So when we do grant writing, um, I think I'm at a different... I may be have a little more privilege and access than other community members and other schools in South Shore on the South or West Side, right? Um, and so definitely, that's definitely known. And I think hopefully in the future, maybe I can come back and talk about ways we work together right at schools. Uh, we'll see. Um, but that's, that's something I would hope to do. Yeah, I would, I would, uh, I hope people in the central office are listening, not that they would do anything if they were listening, but just some figure out some way uh, to address this inequity uh, that uh, Dixon is describing. If you're an affluent school in the North Side, I've heard of North Side schools, uh, Dixon, that raise money to pay for like a science teacher. You, you yeah. Go, so they could, you know, or uh, an advanced math teacher or a drama program or a music program. They could, so in other words, they can raise so much money that they can afford to hire an extra teacher or two. Uh, and that's, yeah. I don't know how that's, we can consider that fair if that's not taken into the equation uh, when they dole out money to yeah. the schools. Definitely. Uh, by the 100%. way, do, does, does Parkside have yeah. a drama, uh, music, 
dance teacher, anything like that? Yeah, we do have uh, teachers in the arts. Um, off the top of my head, you know, we have like 29, 20, 30 teachers. Off the top of my head, I'm pretty sure we do have, um, I know for sure we have art. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I don't want to take a specific breakdown, but we definitely have arts. We definitely have a dance program. Um, I'm not sure about drama, but I'm, I'm super sure about the first two. All right, let's move on to the big issue of the day in the city of Chicago in terms of the public schools. Uh, and uh, that has to do with whether there should be uh, police officers uh, in a public school. Uh, and uh, the mayor and the leaders of the Board of Education have said they want to um, continue having police officers in the school. And the reason for this, they said, is that local school councils have uh, approved having police in the schools. And so they're just... Uh, f- uh, following the uh, the interests of the local school councils, the requests of the local school councils. Uh, does your school have police officers? And if so, do you uh, want to continue having police officers in your school? I think that's the... So I, I'm going to push back then. I think the question is... So first of all, I, I, we don't. Um, I think that... But I think this issue as I've read about it and talked to folks about it, and as someone in the community who I know some of the leaders in uh, Police Free School, high, high school students, shout out to Wing, um, uh, who used to go to Hyde Park. I think the issue is not, I think the issue is structural, right? Um, I think COVID has taught us a lot about that, right? I'm a young, I'm 26, right? If I were to be exposed to the virus, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't, I'd be asymptomatic, right? I, I haven't been, but, you know, I'm pretty sure I would be. That doesn't mean that I can't spread the virus. That doesn't mean that if someone else gets spread to it, it's deadly to them, right? Um, I think, you know, I'm an able-bodied person. Um, I don't need a ramp or a rail to get upstairs, right? But that doesn't mean that there are other folks who do, and it doesn't mean that as a city, you know, society, whatever, we shouldn't have those things, right? When I think about police in schools, what we're talking about is the young woman, uh, Miss Howard at Marshall Academy, right? We're talking about someone who had a for issue with a cell phone, ended up getting dragged downstairs, got paid, was stepped on, you know, thought, right? Um, you know, so if I'm, there are a lot of schools, I'm sure there are a lot of schools where this stuff doesn't happen. But from what I've heard from folks about the data, and about the negative experiences of that and the fact that, like you said, there there may be other things we could spend that money on. Um, I think the question is not whether individuals are okay with it. I think the question is overall, is it, do, is it doing good or is it doing harm? And are there other things we could be putting the money to? Um, and so that's what I think about when I think about that question. Because I think there, there are folks who could say, yeah, you know, we have officers in our school and it's fine. We, we haven't had any incidents. And that's really good. That's a blessing. Um, but it's, is that the case for everyone? Um, and is it worth the amount of money? Um, that's what I think is the core part of that issue. And I, and I believe based on the data and based on the fact that, um, you know, I watched someone send me the stream. I watched the stream of the, 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 the meeting. I can't remember. It was, I don't know if it's the board of it or the city council, whatever it was. Um, and it was, it was just super clear to me that, you know, the guy was talking about the number of arrests and school to prison pipeline and all the other things. I don't, I don't think it's worth it. I don't know if it's, if it, uh, not, I don't think 
I, I don't. It, it's, it's clearly not worth it. Um, so that's that's how I feel. Uh, yeah, I believe that probably was the the meeting that you saw probably uh, yesterday's city council meeting. Uh, there was a uh, committee meeting of the city council. They were discussing this. I, I don't know. I don't know if that was what you were. It's on my mind because I was. I think, it was, I think yeah. that was it. Yeah. Yeah, and they, I think uh, that was it. the aldermen are are discussing this, and um, this gets back to uh, the role the local school councils play. And uh, I, Dixon, I'm going to uh, attribute this to age a difference. I'm a lot older than you, so I tend to be jaded by what I've seen over the years in the city of Chicago. Uh, and uh, you have the advantage of youth, uh, and so you have not been uh, as jaded as I am. But let me point this out, get your reaction to this. What I find really uh, irritating about the discussion of whether it should be police in schools is that, in my humble opinion, uh, really, this is a matter of, of, of budgets, and mayors of the city of Chicago decided that they're going to have the school system pay the salaries of police officers. So instead of the salaries coming out of the police department budget, it comes out of the Chicago public schools budget. And because they control the board of education, they get the board members to sign on to it. So it's not really, in my humble opinion, about whether... Uh, the Parkside School or the Skinner School or the uh, Ray School or the Newberry School. Their local school council wants the police officers. It's the fact that this is a convenient, relatively easy way to get the public schools to pick up police salaries, if you follow what I'm saying. And that part of the decision that Chicago has to make is whether the police department pays for those police salaries or the board of education pay, pays for them. If the police department pays for the salaries, that frees up money in board, in public school money that the park size of the world could spend on things other than police officers. Do you agree with me on that point? Yeah, I get what you're saying. I mean, definitely you have the, the historical knowledge and background and expertise. Um, and I think that as I see it, you know, whatever the, I know we're budgeting certain dollars or tax for certain things and I have to go to that depending on where it's coming from, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I, you know, I, I think that that money, the majority of our money is better spent on things that help folks improve. And I'm not convinced that um, policing schools or spending the majority of our budget on policing is good for young people like myself mm -hmm. or older folks like yourself. Dixie, do you were there police officers uh, at Kenwood when you were a student there? Uh, yeah, there were. And what's your memory of the experience with them? So I, well, all schools have security officers. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, Kenwood had police officers when I was there. I, I'm pretty sure they probably still do. Um, and my experience was, to be, to be quite honest with you, there was no, I don't have a discernible memory or interaction with them, right? But again, it's not about, if, if, if it had little to no effect on me, 
doesn't matter as much to me as the negative effects that some have had on others. And I don't think my indifference to it, or maybe even to a positive effect, I mean, my positive experience outweighs those who um, have had negative experience, right? It's, it's not individual, it's a structural thing. So I always, and that's how I look at it, right? It's a community thing. Um, if something hurts someone else, it doesn't hurt me. Maybe we should do something to stop hurting them, right? Especially if it doesn't hurt me. So that's how I look at it, right? You know, individuals may have great experiences, but if that a whole, the system is not effective to everyone, and it's inherently discriminatory. I mean, I saw the guy on the link. He said, you know, over 70-something percent of the arrests in schools are black students. That's not, that seems discriminatory to me, right? Um, that's not, that doesn't reflect the makeup. That's not, you know, consistent with the actual makeup of CCS. I know CCS is, has a lot of black and brown students, but not 70% black. Um, but whatever the statistic was, it was very high, 70-something. I couldn't say the last digit. But, you know, so I, I think that, that that's the tension that we have to deal with. I think that as a city, as a community, we stop thinking about me, right, the individual, and think about the whole, the collective. And so for me, right, joke pun intended, for me, I think that, you know, I could have had a wonderful experience to offer to my school, but that's not where someone else getting hurt. That's mm-hmm. not some, That's not where someone else getting put in the criminal justice system at 14, 15, 16, or younger than that, right? Um, so that's how I look at it, Ben. But I'm young, though, like you said. Yeah, no, you're young and you're still, uh, you, you haven't been beaten down by the system yet. Uh, God bless you. No, I, I, uh, yeah, I, I tend to look at these things. How do I put this? If a school decides that it's infinite wisdom, if the local school council in its infinite wisdom at it, whatever the school is, decides that they want the police officer in their school, and that they have a police officer in their school that works well with the students at that school, that uh, believes sort of a restorative justice. Uh, it's like a more of an officer-friendly model as opposed to a lock them up model. Okay, if 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 they feel mm-hmm. confident that I feel they should have the teeth, they, they should be allowed. That's their decision, right? That's local school governance. That's what it's all about. But they shouldn't have to pay for it with education money. Well, I, I agree with you on that. If, if, if in theory, let's say, let's say you ignore all the other data, which is a lot of data, mm-hmm. but let's say you assume, hey, officers in school, it's up to the school. And I think, right, that makes sense. But I think what I would ask you back is, is that a false choice? You're not telling me, hey, here's $120,000. You can spend it on, like you said, another science teacher um, or you can get a police officer. My understanding is that they said you can get a police officer or nothing. Yes. So even if you do, like I think, assuming there's officer friendly, she's in the school, he or she's in the school, they're doing great, they're mentoring kids, they're showing up at basketball games. Um, I think if most schools could say, hey, you can have him or a counselor, you can have he or she or another science teacher. Um, you can have he or she or, you know, like you said, an arts or drama teacher program. Mm-hmm. I, I'd be, I, I think a lot of schools would choose uh, that additional educational 
faster because I think the things that in theory, in, in, based on your argument, right, like the officer friendly, um, police officers aren't the only people that can fill that role, right? Um, I think my biggest mentor, all my biggest mentors in school were teachers um, and coaches. Um, and a police officer could be a coach, right? Um, but you don't need to be a police officer to be a coach, right? My, my, my coach, I think he worked at the gym, like, you know, down the street. He worked at 47th Street at the gym, right? He was a personal fitness trainer. But he had a huge effect on my life. Um, and so I don't know if necessarily that dictates, like you said, the money coming out of TPS budget. In addition to the fact that as an LSD, you're getting a vote on it, but it's not really, it's not a, uh, a definitive, you know, it's not a holistic vote, right? And as I understand it, even if you don't take the officer in the school, part of that money, again, based on what they were saying on this link I watched yesterday, which they're telling me at city council, um, they have, there's like a mobile unit that goes around for the ones that even don't have a school. And then they're like sergeants above that that are assigned to different schools or different districts. Um, and so even if you say no to that, you're still paying for it, like you said, out of that budget. Um, and you don't get you don't get the ability to say, We would really we would really love, you know, take that hundred and twenty thousand dollars, however much it costs for officer on benefits and stuff, um, to fix the intercom system or to get more books or to get another teacher or to paint the wall or whatever whatever the school needs. Um, so I think even even if folks want it, it's still a false choice because you don't get autonomy, right? Um, you don't get to truly make the decision you're choosing to have something or not have something. Of course, you're naturally going to want it if it's alternative to nothing. You're absolutely correct. And uh, I, I'm, I'm pleading with the Board of Education not to continue this program. Uh, they should take that $33 million that they are right now giving to the police department Keep that $33 million, most of which comes from property taxes that people like me pay, thinking it's going to the public schools for school things, and they should use that $33 million for whatever each individual school wants. So if Parkside wants a new librarian, or they want a new nurse, they want a social worker, they want to sign, whatever you, the local school council decides, you get the... Uh, the portion of that $33 million. I, that's how I view it. And let the city council uh, come up with $33 million to pay for the police. Instead, what they do is they shuffle it over to the Board of Ed and they take it out of the school budget. And they do that to benefit the mayor and the police department, not the students of Chicago Public Schools. So that I'm with you 100% on that one, uh, Dixon, and I'm hoping that the powers that be listen to you and me on the show and change their minds. Let's see if that happens uh, anytime soon. Before I, uh, I, I leave uh, the issue of schools behind, I want to get another pet peeve uh, off my chest with you, get your reaction to it. Uh, there was sure. a, a story in the paper the other day about how there, um, uh, many communities in the city of Chicago uh, have inadequate Internet a- access Many of the uh, poor families in the city of Chicago, some of them don't have computers uh, or the, the internet access is really bad. So the city got together with some wealthy people, uh, raised some money to improve internet access in poor neighborhoods. And are you ready for this? So I'm reading this article, everybody's patting everybody on the back for raising this money, looking out for the poor kids of Chicago, Dixon. They said, it should yeah. be up and ready to go in four years. 
I'm like, four years? If you're a fourth grader at Parkside, that means you're going to go for the rest of your elementary school education without this internet access. This is the part where I get really cynical really fast, Dixon. If people really care Mm -hmm. about poor kids in the city of Chicago, why are they holding off giving them internet access, decent internet access for four years? Can you help me grapple with this one? Uh, You know, I I have to say, to tell you the truth, I won't name my internet provider, but my internet is not great where I live. Um, So, you know, I'm, I'm with you on that. The kids need it, but I need it too, you know. But all jokes aside, I think, um, yeah, that's hard to grapple with because I'm sure there are technological and, um, you know, there's, you know, the, the science of how Wi-Fi works or internet works. I, I don't know that. Um, but I do think to your point, um, it seems to me, right, as a 26-year-old young person, most of the problems that we know about in these areas, folks know. Right. Um, and they've existed for, like you said, many years, maybe decades, maybe longer than that. Um, so do I think four years is too long? Hell yes. Um, I know that some of our students at Parkside during, you know, the, the schools being closed during the pandemic, um, you know, we, we gave out computers and we gave every student, we gave a computer, but there were additional issues, like you said, with the internet, right? Um, and this is where kind of those other issues that we talked about earlier in the show kind of coincide, right? Mm-hmm. You know, depending on who you ask, right? Homeless is on the street. Homeless is doubled up with somebody. Homeless is, you know, my mom's friend who I call auntie, but not legally or blood, you know, by blood, my actual auntie, but I live with them. Um, you know, and they're, you know, so maybe we give kids a little a hot spot or something, right? But there's still six people in their apartment or in their house for more right um and so you're not they're not going to deny their siblings or their parent access to this thing um and so it you know it, it stops it it, becomes, it makes you know the, the device in itself less effective um and then you're right back where you started right you have less access to um schooling through the internet you have less access to you know internet in general right um and so yeah i agree with you this is something that especially going forward, because I'm not sure, I'm, again, I'm not a scientist or anything like that, but I'm not sure that we're going to be, I don't know what school will look like in the fall. Um, I imagine that it probably won't be super safe for us to go back to school in the fall. This is, again, I'm not speaking for anyone at first. I don't want to get anyone in trouble. I'm just saying this picture of Romeo. Yeah. When I think about the fact that um, if we won't have a vaccine, if we, you know, if, you know, a lot of our schools, the number of students, I don't know how you would segment it so that folks can be separated. We know a lot of our kids are coming on the bus and they're coming from different places. Um, and we also know that kids are kids and sometimes, you know, they think they have the mask on right, but it might not be on right. Uh, and we know that we have teachers who, at least at Parkside, we have a wide range. We got teachers that are younger than me. We got teachers that are older than me and you combined, uh, probably plus five more. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. You know, we it, 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 there's so many ways for things to go wrong or people to get exposed. I don't, you know, I don't get to make that decision. Um, but and whoever does, it's a tough one. I think that I'm, I know that our teachers have thoughts, like the teachers across the city. I know parents have thoughts across the city, and students have thoughts. Across the city. So, all, all that being said, is we don't know what that looks like in the fall. So, 
it would seem to me like we would need to get internet up and running. Um, of course, no one prefers e-learning to the real thing being in the classroom. But again, I think well, it's less about me and more about we, right? Like just the health, what, what are we willing to risk with that? The health of our students, the health of our teachers, of our staff, uh, of their families, of the community. Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't risk that. Um, so I think we need to get the internet up and running. We need, we need it up and running four years ago, not in the next four years. Absolutely. I'm with you on that one. So, all right, well, uh, we've made an agreement. We're going to discontinue uh, that uh, gentrifying neighborhood project <laughs> and we'll spend the money. Some of that $1.3 billion uh, will be going on internet access. All right, before I let you go, I'm going to pick your brain on a totally different topic. Before we went on the air, Dixon told me he was a movie fan. And we talk a lot about movies on the Ben Jarofsky show. We have special segments, uh, Daniel Scruggs, uh, Sergio Mims. We break down all the movies of the day. Uh, we also have recommendations. Our guests make recommendations. So, Dixon, before you head out the door, give us some recommendations. People staying at home on the 4th of July don't want to go outside. And uh, what should they be watching? What are the movies that you recommend people watch? Okay, sure, sure, sure. But uh, I'll do this by there's one more thing I want to say about Parks. I know you're talking for go a ahead. long time. I don't want to hold the show up. So I'll, I'll do the movies, then I'll go back. Does that work? Yes, sir. Go ahead. Okay. Um, so I think a classic movie to me, um, I don't know if you've seen it, Ben, but Boomerang with Eddie Murphy. Um, I think it's a funny movie. I think it's a good movie. Have you seen Boomerang, Ben? Boomerang? Are you kidding? John Witherspoon? With uh, the the scene at the table, Uh, well, I don't want to say the scene. (laughs) You gotta whoop that beep. Yes, I've seen Boomerang. I just saw it. uh, I I just rewatched it about two months ago. It's hilarious, Uh, Eddie Murphy. Yes, it was great. It's got everybody. John Witherspoon, like you said, rest in peace. You know, Eddie Murphy. Halle Berry. I mean, it's got everybody. Uh, it's a great movie. Um, I, I'm picking. I'm thinking a light movie to let them. You know, we have to watch light stuff with everything going on. Um, I think Into the Spider Verse. I think is a great movie. Um, I do virtual movie nights with my friends sometimes, and we watch it. And everyone always complains about the movie. This is the one movie that everyone loves. Um, I think the script is really tight. It's family friendly. It's got a good message. Good action. Um, you see Spider-Verse? Do you like Spider-Verse? Wait, which one is... I think I did see it, but I'm getting it mixed up with about three other movies. What, what's, what happens in Spider-Verse? Spider-Verse is the one where it's multiple Spider-Mans, and we follow Miles Morales, who's the, the black and Latinx Spider-Man. Um, and it's animated. Um, you know, and the Spider-Men, you know, I don't want to ruin the plot too much, but, you know, they see, I'm sure people have seen it. But they see him up, and they... Uh, you know, beat the bad guy and there are courts along the way. Um, they think they fail, but they really don't. And there's another hour, you know, stuff like that. Uh, yeah. Typical movie stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have not seen that one. I could tell you that. I, I kind of like rebelled against Spider-Man movies about two Spider-Man movies again. Maybe I, maybe I, I bailed on it too soon. Uh, You're a Spider-Man 3 fan. That's why. I'm sure. Which one was Spider-Man 3? Like I said, they all come together. Dee, do you remember Spider-Man 3? Was Spider-Man 3 the one with, like, dancing? A lot of dancing? <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah. Man, that that one was like, weird. That seems like up your alley, Ben. That seems up your alley, Ben. I mean, you should... All right, I'll check out. Then there's that one with Jamie Foxx. That one was not that good either. 
Right, and I was, uh, I don't know what, Wait, there Spider- was a Jamie- Spider-Man 2. No, there was one with Jamie, Fo- he played like Electro or whatever. No. Yeah, he's not, he's not Spider-Man, but, yeah. um, he played yeah, that, that one was interesting, sure. <laughs> I did I not know that. Uh, and, uh, all right, and what about, uh, uh, any others? Uh, scary movies? You were mentioning scary movies, and now all of a sudden you're going with these comedies. Oh, no, scary Yeah, I mean, of course, scary movies. I just watched um, The Lodge, which was terrible. Um, I do not recommend that one. Uh, an absolute bore of a film. Uh, you know, even though I used to watch Roger Ebert when I was little, I, I, I would give it negative two stars. I mean, it's, it's not scary. It's not frightening. I think if you had it on the waiting room at dentist's office, you'd put more people to sleep. I mean, it's just they save money on uh, those drugs they use to, you know, knock you out and then take out your wisdom too. So I think that's that's where I put the lies. Uh, I saw I watched Heredity recently, um, at Midsummer Midsummer, yeah. uh, which were both pretty scary, eerie movies that I thought had some interesting, you know, American Gothic scenes going on there. Uh, did you see those? What did you think about those? Oh, yeah. Both of them I saw, and both of them scared me. Hereditary, uh, the ending is uh, preposterous, the, the, uh, but it's a very scary movie uh, before you get to that. <laughs> that last, like, five minutes is just, all right, guys, you just uh, you jumped the shark here. But, uh, no, I, 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 I watched them both, same director. Uh, and, uh, yeah, maybe we'll bring you into our next, uh, uh, movie segment. We'll do scary movies with Sergio and Danielle. Uh, you said you wanted to mention one last thing about Parkside before I let you go. Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, also, I want, you know, I think about, do you have a favorite movie villain? I'm sorry. I'm taking over the interview, Ben, but I think. The go ahead. Deserve, no. <laughs> uh, the Dixon the Romeo's. Deserve, they have the right to know. Uh, do I right. have a favorite, uh, God, a favorite villain? Well, uh, I would say that the, I can't, I wouldn't, no, I do not have a, but if you mean like a villain that I like, I can't think of a villain that I like. Uh, do you, well, what's a good movie villain for you? Uh, so in other you words, know, like whatever a, you want to frame it. Okay. So this movie, which you've never seen, and it's not, uh, okay. an adventure movie, it's way before your time. But the villain in this movie, it's called Chinatown is the name of the movie. Noah Cross is the villain. He's the most evil, despicable, powerful man. He Just imagine a person who controls, this is my kind of movie, absolutely everything in a town and gets all the people, the mayor, the board of ed, uh, the, the public works commissioner to enact programs to benefit him. That's Noah Cross in Chinatown. He's the most despicable human being, and he's played by an actor named John Houston. He does it so well. You just hate the guy. So when I think when you when you said villain, that's who popped in my that's mind. That's what I thought of. Chinatown came out in nineteen seventy three or four, so it's way before your time, and that's why I knew you'd never seen it. So that's my uh, that. I, I I hesitate to say my favorite because I don't want to suggest in any way that I like him. But it's fascinating <laughs> to watch him do his villainy thing. He's a good movie. Ben just watched. Uh, so then I have to. Oh, I was gonna say oh, Ben go just ahead. watched Next Friday a while back. Is Pinky from <laughs> Next Friday considered a villain? <laughs> I, yeah, I could think Pinky. I think Debo and, and Friday the original. Debo is the uh, original that's villain. <laughs> that's my yeah, bike. Uh, yeah, yeah. He's, he's more Shakespearean, I would say, in a sense. Uh, 
with a villainy. I, I have to say, though, Ben, uh, you said something that I thought was quite ridiculous. So there's this thing, Ben, I don't know if you know about it, it's called Google. Yeah. And with Google, <laughs> okay. folks who may have been born in more recent years yeah. can go back and see the span of many things. Granted, that you have internet access, which we just talked about. <laughs> so have I heard of this movie called Chinatown with Jack Nicholson? I may have heard of it once or twice. Okay. Um, <laughs> to be fair, I haven't seen it. Okay. It's on my queue. I just haven't watched it, but I'd rather point that out. Well, I'll tell you um, what. You should watch it because it, it's a good movie. But go ahead, yeah. I think Debo is a good movie villain. Um, I have my own personal Mount Rushmore movie villains. I'll do it real quick. So I know you have other guests and important things in advertising. Um, so have you seen New Jack City? Yeah. it's. I saw it when it first came out. And, uh, <laughs> oh, my God, which was 1992, I want to say. Uh, and... Uh, you know, I'm really disappointed to say this. It's okay. You're gonna really laugh at me, Dixon. I still get Netflix through the mail, and uh, I do too. It's okay. You do. You, okay. All right. We <laughs> and it's it, it. I can't get it. I try to. I was saying, you want to see? If, I remember really liking it, and I wanted to rewatch it, uh, like I did Boomerang. Like I, I'm going back and rewatching '90s movies, and. I, they had Boomerang, but they didn't have uh, New Jack City. Hey, I tried this Google thing you were talking about. 1991, New oh, Jack City. Come on, man. Did I say? Uh, come on. said 92. Oh, sc- oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> you don't think you don't think Nino Brown's an amazing villain? You know, What's the sniper character? Yeah, I. Uh, yeah, but you know, it's such a fuzzy memory in my head. That's why I wanted to rewatch it. Um, yeah. You know, and like a Chinatown I've seen 10 times, I want to say. In New Jack City, I've only seen okay. once. So, anyway. Uh, but I just saw Wesley Snipes in another movie, and he was excellent. What was the movie I saw him in, D? I don't know. I went to, um, uh, the Eddie Murphy movie. It just came out. It was on... Uh, Dolomite. Ne- yes. Oh, my God. Dolomite. He was so good in Dolomite. And uh, how can I forget, though? We had a whole discussion of Dolomite. I'm looking at Dennis like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> anyway. We, Have you ever seen Mean Girls? Uh, yeah, I saw Mean Girls when it came <laughs> I saw Mean Girls when it came out. I think God, like, hello, Dexon. I saw Mean Girls when it came out um, a long time ago. And I, I can't remember the villain in Mean That's another movie. Regina George. Yes. Yeah, Regina George. Yeah, see... <laughs> These are movies from the '90s. Maybe Mean Girls is early O's. I, I think Three Mean Girls was like I was younger, so I think it was like 04, 05, 06, around that period. Yeah. So they, you, you were going to give us our, uh, the Mount Rushmore of uh, movie villains, though. Yes. Who, who are they? Go oh. ahead. Right, right. Well, uh, to, to me again, of course, I think for me, it's not about uh, my favorite, but just who I think is a, a great villain who who really just irks me and is all powerful. I haven't seen Chinatown, so maybe uh, that character will make it up there. Um, but I think Nino Brown's on there. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, come on. he They were shooting at him, and he picked up someone's kid, and <laughs> he, was just, he, was just, he was just despicable, man. He was a despicable guy. The police caught him, and they were, like, you know, trying to arrest him. He's laughed at him. He said, I'll be out in the day. Right? I mean, that's a great villain. Yeah. Um, I think Regina George and Mean Girl. Uh she just had everything on the control. She knew where 
was manipulative, right? She was evil. Um, but she also was misunderstood. So, you know, you, you can relate a little bit. Not too much, though. For me, I'm, I don't have blonde hair. Um, <laughs> but who else? Who else? Who else? Now watch more. Uh, need I two think more. Campbell Lecter. I think it's a great movie. Oh, villain. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. He's yep. good. Psycholo- I think I like psychological villains. He's good. Um, I don't approve his diet, uh, per se, but, you know, he's pretty dope. And then um, the last one, have you ever seen Drumline? Oh, yeah. I saw Drumline, yeah. Uh, Christmas this, Day movie. Not, this, right. This villain was in the movie for probably a minute, but he had no line. But this is the most menacing villain I've ever seen. He's on another team. And so for those who don't know, who may not have seen like Drumline is about HBCU. Mm-hmm. The young guy goes to the school. You know, he's on the drum. He's got a scholarship. He's not to read music. So he's got like a little teacher, right? So he's had some folks. Um, band director's kind of old school. He's new school, right? So kind of like me and Ben. Same dynamic. Yes. Um, but, <laughs> but uh, so he's coming out of thing and his girlfriend brings her family there. She wants to introduce you know, her family to her, her new boo, right, from the school. And he's drumming, he's showing off, um, and a guy from another team just gives him a look. He's like, what? So he steps to him. And now he's drumming in his face. He's throwing dust at him. He's drumming on his drum. And this guy, he just gives him a face, and he's just looking at him, he's staring at him, and he gets a fight, and, and, and a fight breaks out, you know, embarrasses Nick Cannon in front of his girlfriend. That, to me, that villain, you know, that actor probably got, like, you know, $2 and a peanut butter sandwich for that role, but... <laughs> I think he, you know, he defined villainy to me. You know, he made, he took the hero out of his element. He embarrassed him. He made him lose. That's I think he, he deserves to be on that mountain. It's hard to do that with just your eyes. Right. So I think he deserves a spot on Mount Rushmore. I just I just thought of two villains from the same movie. Okay. Which okay, same movie. All right. Yeah, these two villains are so. Villainous is that a word? Yeah. Uh, they're so villainous, they may have to share a spot on Mount Rushmore, and that would okay. be I'm from ready for this. from Django, Samuel Jackson, and Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> Sa- Samuel Jackson is one of the most despicable human beings in a movie I've ever seen. Okay, he just killed that role as a despicable, like. Just think about what he did in the movie, and right. I, I think he he, he, he was he the, was a weaponized, empowered yeah. Uncle Tom. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> he, it was bad. Yes, and he was the brains behind DiCaprio. He was like he was telling right. DiCaprio what to do. <laughs> Remember that scene where they like went into the room? They were drinking the liqueur or whatever it was they were drinking, and. He goes, this is what Yeah, you- he gave him the play. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he told him what to do. He gave him the play. Yeah. He gave him the play. Yeah, so there you I go. I think that is, you know, it's, you know, it's really funny. We, I, you know, cut me off if you have to. I know we just watched Django, my movie night. Um, and two things stuck out to me about Django. Outside of, I agree, Sam Jackson's the, the real brains behind the operation at the Candyland Ranch. Um, but, you know, I think uh, we've got to look at Christopher uh, Shirt. Oh my gosh, Christopher Schultz character. Um, I think I can't remember if that's the name in the movie or the or that's the real name. Christopher Waltz. Was like Waltz. Django. Yeah, Waltz. Thank yeah. you. And his name was something Schultz. Right? Yeah, he was uh, Django's mentor. He was the real villain. 
to me of a second villain after Sammy Will. He blew the whole deal up with DiCaprio. If, if no one's listening to this hasn't seen Django, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> so he blew the whole deal up over an inconvenience. That's crazy. He said, you know, I watched you, I watched a guy get eaten by a dog. I was okay with it. You know, you, you basically stole money from me. I was okay with it. Uh, you put a gun to my head. I was okay, but you want me to shake your hand? No, nah, man, I gotta. Yeah, that's I'm, a valid I'm point. My life for that. <laughs> I'm willing to. I'm willing to risk my life for that. Like, hey, Django. Hey, uh, Broomhilda. I'm sorry. I know we got you this far, but uh, <laughs> you're I can't right. Guy, you're right. You're right. <laughs> that was. Yeah, he did watch the guy get eaten up by a dog. But ah, uh, you. Tr- this line is one I cannot cross. Okay, so uh, right. Uh, by the way. <laughs> As long as you're doing Tarantino villains, come on now. Uh, Waltz in Inglorious Bastard is the evil Nazi, is a horrible villain. And uh, yeah. Samuel Jackson as the villain in uh, Jackie Brown is mm. a yeah, horrible he's good villain. Too. So there we go. I got, I'm just putting Quentin Tarantino villains up on Mount Rushmore and calling it a day. <laughs> Yeah. All right. This, this is that's yeah. a great uh that's a great uh like conversation for a party or something. The Mount Rushmore of movie villains. Well, you know what? I think Dixon uh he passed the audition. He knows his movies. We're gonna bring him on with Danielle. And- Congratulations. <laughs> you passed the audition. Dixon, you get to be thank part you, of our uh, uh we just what, what movie did we do? Oh, we just did Defy Bloods. We did a whole Spike Lee thing about two weeks ago. Uh and we've done Quentin Tarantino, so uh maybe yeah. we'll just do a whole if show. If you're doing movies, let yeah, if you do movies, let me know. I'll I'll, I'll make time. I, I love talk. I can talk for years about. It. All right, very good, uh, Dixon uh, Romeo. Thank you so much for being on the show. Take care, everybody.